0: to Weird Sequence, Season 1, Sequence 4, The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. Be aware of spoilers and trigger warnings for the following. Murder, cattle mutilation, classism, racism, graphic crime scene descriptions, and flaky audio syncing. So, you have a brother-in-law called Mark from the Isle of Skye.
1: Right, so my dad's wife has a daughter named Shannon, so Shannon's my stepsister, and she, like after high school, said, you know, screw this country, I'm going to Scotland, and so she moved to Scotland, and then she met Mark and married him, and he's from the Isle of the That's oddly
0: specific, but I like it. Right. Hello, and welcome to Weird Sequence. We're your hosts, Phil Allegheri.
1: And Damien Haster.
0: And this week we are covering the classic HP Lovecraft story, The Dunwich Horror.
1: And I need to get a chair that doesn't squeak. Give me I'm going to take
0: a second to apologize for the, the, uh, the delay in this show. We had some recording issues. Um, you do a thing, you try and make it a higher quality product, and then uh, you end up producing about an hour and a half of unusable footage. But sometimes you have to learn these things the hard way.
1: <laughs> yes, this is the second time that we've this is the second time we have talked about, about the Dumbachara. first time you're hearing it.
0: This is the first time you've heard it. So, yes. um,
1: it was just so good that we had to talk about.
0: it I mean, it again. It, look on the bright side. I mean, it's practiced at this point. It's it's well, practiced uh, thoughts
1: and opinion this time. There won't be there won't be any wasted airspace no. or or tangents or anything. We won't, this
0: we won't time. talk at length about absolutely nothing. <laughs> Also the other, the other podcast because uh, we're having to work around some some pretty tight schedules constraints, but we uh, we recorded it I think at half past midnight and uh, and least. it was yeah. it was bad. it was bad. the The most interesting thing in the first 90 minutes of audio we record was a discussion about the i95 road running through Delaware. So. You should be thankful that we've
1: re-recorded this. I, I don't even remember that conversation. <laughs> I am not
0: even kidding. You. It's it's the most dynamic and interesting part of the first twenty minutes of that, and it's like, spoiler alert. I don't particularly care for much for this story, but uh, even so, um, I, I I feel like it needs to be done a little better than that. So this this is version two.
1: Hmm. Um, so you don't you don't care for this story? I don't care for this story. I um I I like this story for. For two reasons, um, one, it's it's a great example of H.P. Lovecraft's whole thing, from the cosmic horror to the extremely qualified protagonists. That um, you know, instead of having the the dumb, ditzy teenagers who are getting hacked apart by monsters, it's it's you know professors that are dealing well, with stuff. Even the even and, the,
0: the people that aren't, you know, um, they are. They're monstrous in nature, but they are still learned. Like they've learned the dark arts, they've learned multiple languages to do what they're doing. Um, No, that's good. I like. um, And also, also the uh, the main antagonist.
1: The blatant racism. (laughs) The blatant racism. Yes.
0: Ah, there's that. I don't care much for that. And I I
1: do. I do think. But it is. But it is a good example of H.P. Lovecraft's. I reasons. think
0: there are better. I, I would say Call of Cthulhu is a better example of some of his racism. There is some definite classist elitism in this.
1: Oh, that's true. This is true.
0: this is a great example of how shockingly arrogant he was um, towards Ooh. people that weren't uh, sort of. Um, I, I use the term because I can't think of a better one, but higher-born city dwellers. There's, there's definitely
1: or, you know Anglo. there's an
0: obsession with you know bloodlines and family that doesn't matter. And I don't I don't necessarily like some of the categorizations of Dunwich, because as far as I can tell, Dunwich is a somewhat sleepy village in a kinda creepy part of Massachusetts. And he makes it sound like it's the hills have eyes. Except they're stupid.
1: Yes, that's true. That's true. I also like this story because some just ridiculous things happen. The 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 protagonist in the story does what I feel are several um, feats of academic heroism that are just completely (laughs) ridiculous.
0: Yes. Uh, Um, So, with those first thoughts logged, um, Mr. Haster, would you like to give us a brief synopsis of the story?
1: Uh, Sure. So... The Dunderach Horror starts out with a, a good two or three pages of um, travel log kind of stuff where he describes the Massachusetts countryside. And um, The only important part about this part of the story is just that it's a, it's a good example of like, maybe him as a person, but in his stories, one of the things that is a little bit off-putting is that things are to something. So in this, in the first part of the story, he talks about like the the hills in this part of Massachusetts are just too symmetrical to give one a sense of comfort in the, in the countryside. And, um, the, the trees are too, you know, tree or something. And, uh, <laughs> that's something that goes through all of his stories that, you know, something yeah. is just a little bit too something. Well, there's, there's always that, that kind of
0: underlying day. suggestion, just, um, a natural geometry.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the kind of thing where like, you know, 99 out of 100 people would just walk by this hill and be like whatever it's a hill but that one guy looks up at it and was like uh eh, i don't know about this that. hill
0: is like, too round
1: <laughs> right maybe it's a burial mound who knows you know um so it starts with just that kind of travel log getting getting an idea of the setting hp lovecraft is very very um dedicated to giving you a good sense of place and of setting in his stories he wants you to understand the decrepit nature of dunwich before we you know get into the meat of the story Mm um you know this is a town that the signs have been pulled off of the roads nobody like there's no signs to dunwich anymore after this event that takes place and 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 this is another hallmark of hp lovecraft the story is being told by an unnamed narrator who is telling the story after the fact and we don't know if he was involved in any way in in other stories like um what's the one that i'm blanking the name on colorado Um, space no 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 the one with the fish people Oh, uh, uh, the Innsmouth. Yes, the Uh, Shadow uh, over Innsmouth. Innsmouth. In the Shadow over Innsmouth, the unnamed narrator was directly involved with the events in in that story. Mm -hmm. But this narrator, we don't know who his identity is or what his... He might just be a guy traveling through the area or something. Uh, So the the story centers around this family of country folk. Uh, That's the adjective that we'll use, but H.P. Lovecraft uses a whole host of really interesting and mostly uh, hyphenated adjectives to describe these people, including... And we'll get to Oh, that. I'm not going to read it right now?
0: <laughs> no, okay. we'll get to that. Because, uh, again, I, I think that, that ties into the elite, uh, classist elite. Oh, that's side. true.
1: So, so these uh, country folk uh, are kind of... The patriarch of this family is is a man that everybody calls Old Man uh, Wheatley, Old Wizard Wheatley. And he is a practitioner of the dark arts of some kind. Um, And one day his daughter, who is an albino and a bunch of other things, um, gives birth to a son. Um, and this son grows up very, very quickly and is weird and nobody likes him and dogs especially don't like him.
0: And and to clarify, not just quickly, like, oh, you know, he's a bit advanced for a four-year-old. By the time he's five, uh, he looks like a 12-year-old and he's starting to get facial hair, I believe it said, something yes. to that effect.
1: Yes, and has to carry a pistol with he, him because of the dogs. freakishly,
0: abnormally... Um, um, kind of age and, and growth.
1: Yes, and apparently wears strange clothes. Um, mm-hmm. So, the shortly after the child is born, old man Wheatley starts uh, buying up cattle and starts renovating his house in strange ways, and um, he starts having these weird sores on his body, and and then uh, things happen. Old wizard Wheatley dies. Um, and he tells Wilbur, who's the boy, um, that he has to keep uh, buying cows and keep uh, studying the, the Necronomicon and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: And he gives him a specific page to look up at in the full copy of the Necronomicon, which he doesn't have. Right.
1: Uh, and so Wilbur goes to find the real copy of the Necronomicon, which is, of course, kept at the vaunted Miskatonic University library. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we meet kind of the protagonist of the story, who is uh, Professor Armitage, who is a academic superhero. Um, <laughs> and we'll get into that. It's hilarious. It's one of my favorite, my favorite things ever in in <clears throat> any story is the idea of what Professor Armitage does. It's just...
0: Oh no, I'm, I'm going to take nothing away from that because I completely agree with you. <laughs>
1: it's incredible (laughs) if people could actually do this it would just like uh...
0: yes anyway academic yeah so
1: so wilbur goes to the to the miskatonic and he gets access to a copy of the necronomicon but he can't check it out he has to use it in the in the library and so he's trying to take notes and stuff and Professor Armitage gets a bad feeling about him and does the superpower thing and, and tells him to go away. And so, then a couple of days later, Wilbur comes back and tries to steal the Necronomicon, but he doesn't realize that there are dogs. And um, this has been said in other places, uh, most famously for me, the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. But dogs are the real heroes of Lovecraft stories. Like, uh, so yes. so he breaks into Miskatonic's library gets attacked by dogs the dogs take him out like his gun jammed he couldn't shoot the dogs and the dogs just just they, they kill
0: him. i mean rips him like eviscerates him like rips him open it's not even just like oh you know it, it bit him by the arm and gnawed on him a bit i mean it, it, it full out rips him to pieces right and, and i just
1: thought in my mind with with the weight of this i just drank a cup of coffee and maybe that's why this happened but it never specifies like what kind of dogs they are so maybe they're like shih tzus or <laughs> chihuahuas or you know corgis or something
0: i really don't want to die being torn apart by shih tzus. <laughs> that just doesn't
1: sound good yeah it'd be a shitty time
0: uh, just 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 a um, mammalian uh, mammalian kind of piranha yes exactly they're all tiny but there's a thousand and of all them. snorting
1: um so so wilbur dies but of course um and 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 we also get a really good description of a Lovecraft monster, which usually Lovecraft is like, uh, "Oh, it's un- undescribable. I can't even. There are no words. Unfathomable. Yeah, things there are no words to describe dimensions. it. Well, in this one, we get like a very detailed look at what what Wilbur Wheatley, um, spoiler, actually looks like.
0: Oh yeah, and it's it's uh, it's pretty. Yes, uh, it is pretty, um, and of course. Spoiler. We'll say that again, even though you know we said that three times already. Um, Wilbur's not entirely human, so he he's described as this this horrifying monster that basically has, um, in, in essence, kind of like human hands and a head and little else. Yeah.
1: Um, so his, they're are all his reptilian so, and tentacles. Yeah. So this um,
0: um, super academic and his friends standing staring at this slowly turning into like a white sludge, and that that actually could have been a good place to stop the story, but they don't
1: no that's just the that's the the, that's the inciting incident really that's the prelude to the horror
0: so um yeah back to dunwich so they they start to uh divide up the estate they don't find any of these weird coins they've been buying uh, animals with nobody really wants to go by the farm so other than a few books they take out of um wilbur's personal quarters which is a small hut he keeps to the side of this large farmhouse that they all lived in, that they've slowly kind of gutted out and renovated. The kind of professor in the, the core of the story, Armitage.
1: Yes, Armitage. and his A team.
0: Oh, and his A team, yeah.
1: Yes, it's an it's... academic A team. There's, there's a Mister T and everything. It's yeah.
0: <laughs> so Dr. Armitage and the A team, uh, specifically Dr. Pity, at this point, I pity
1: the fool that don't cite his sources. <laughs> oh God. <laughs>
0: Uh, that's a university recruiting campaign that will never happen what's yes. um, <laughs> a pity though that sounds great um so he, he starts to read this encoded diary of Wilbur's and what spends three straight days trying to break the cipher on this when he when he finally starts to crack it when he finally cracks it he reads through and translates the whole thing he realizes um yeah it's the diary of an occultist who is... A, not entirely human, and B, trying to summon the other kind of creatures from other dimensions to come into our world and basically remove all people so they can take the world back into their their universe, into their own dimension. And he takes this with absolute certainty and conviction this is a real thing, and he realizes at this point that Wilbur is one of two twins, and the other twin has grown quicker. <laughs> Yes, and this is about and... the time in Dunwich that the farmhouse explodes, and cattle start to go, dis- uh, start to disappear. Yes, this escalates fairly quickly, and within, well, what would you say, uh, maybe less than a month, um, one of the houses gets knocked over and all the occupants eaten.
1: Yeah, I, I always got the feeling that this, that the, that the, the, the horror itself rampaging through Dunwich happened. Over the course of a couple of days, yeah, that, like, that
0: that's not a bad. I mean, I, I never saw it as like a large timescale. It was yeah. definitely a, a shorter kind of. This is a a couple of this is a couple of weeks type event,
1: right? Yeah, and that's when Armitage gets his a team together and they go out to deal with the the problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, I mean, we'll talk about it in more detail, but just the the funny part about what Armitage did is that, like, what he read in. Wilbur's journal almost killed him. and yes. and like and this is something that I actually actually love. This for as like a horror writer is like the because you don't you might get I think it I think it has like a short paragraph from Wilbur's journal, but you don't get to read the part that almost kills Armitage. And and I love that mystery because then your mind goes like, well, what would something be like that like if you read it it almost killed you like that's
0: I, I really like the idea that there is there are words and phrases and ideas that are literal poison mm. to a human mind they, they are so far removed from the world that humans explore that they are literally toxic
1: kind of like a plutonium
0: like well, no, plutonium's a, a real actual thing. This is this is not a real thing. It's, just, it's it's an idea about a thing that is happening. Well,
1: yeah, but but plutonium isn't naturally occurring. So, if like plutonium is so toxic to humans, not like if you get it, if you get it internally, it's super toxic. Your body can't flush it out at all because we just our bodies have never had to. Try and get rid of plutonium.
0: <laughs> Never had to flush plutonium. Right. You know, I actually just watched a thing about um, some sketchy Los Alamos experiments where they're injecting people with plutonium.
1: Oh, did, was it the the UPPU Club?
0: Um, no, but it was it was it was pretty sketch.
1: Yeah. Well, apparently at Los Alamos uh, there was a there was a, an informal club of scientists called the UPPU Club, which were scientists who either through accidental injection or something else had so much plutonium in their bodies that it was detectable in a urine test.
0: Oh, this this wasn't that ethical. Anyway. (laughs) um, So anyway, sorry. So Monster is on the the rampage, uh, tears down the farmhouse, and eats one of the families that lives in Dunwich. So there's these interesting uh, sequences where they have these intense phone calls between the families about what's happening. Are they interesting? Um, no, I actually hate them. Right. That, those are the parts that and, I. I'm just that... trying to be polite. That I I find the way that he's wrote, written and I, maybe it's just because I don't know the accent at all. Uh, the way he's written the colloquial dialogue of the villagers, insufferable and actually difficult to read. Oh yeah,
1: and 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 this As is it... this is a, there's a lesson in that. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna write a story that has. Um, an in-text representation of what the accent sounds like you have to be really careful that it doesn't because it can kick the reader out of the story because it's just too hard to follow
0: well we'll we'll talk more about that um so you know dr armitage shows up um he brings his two colleagues with him one has a rifle even though it's useless they have a powder sprayer of of uh, magic dust Literally, yeah. Well, that it's it's like a, it's like an
1: invisible. It's like a bug, invisible like Waitley a, child, like one of those old school. Yeah, they, like they literally pumping... describe as a, a bug sprayer. Yeah. yeah,
0: to make this 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 giant Waitley child visible, and they 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 corner it at the edge of the village. Well, they don't call it, they find it at the edge of the village, pushing its way through trees, and they chase it up a hill to this ritual stone where you know old wizard Waitley had uh, performed all these pagan rituals.
1: Isn't that how, uh, how the British do fox hunts? They f- flush the fox out of the bushes, chase it up a hill, spray it with magic powder, perform a ritual so that it gets banished to its own realm?
0: No, they, they flush a fox out of a bush. Then they chase it with 30 horses and about 100 dogs whilst bugling loudly. Um, terrify children of any school they run by the side of and then they brutally murder the fox because they're all assholes.
1: Oh, that's that's right. That's the way it goes.
0: I think that's the correct way. Then they get drunk on sherry afterwards. Um,
1: oh, yeah, that's the most important part.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, so they chase the monster up the hill. Uh, they get to the top of the hill. They, um, they chant some rite that Armitage has come up with from his own studies of the Necronomicon. And they banish... Um, they materially banish the second Waitley... Um, back to kind of the other dimensions not before a couple of the, the villagers get a good shot a good a visual of it to describe it in all its horror
1: yeah this this section this section of the book is great like it's a great like writing tool and convention that the you know the the instinct of the writer is that the pov has to go with the heroes up the hill mm-hmm. to to be there for the ritual but um, Lovecraft doesn't do that. The POV stays on the bottom of the hill with the villagers. Well, so... it's this
0: thing about sort of a, a removed narrator again. It, it's some of right. the villagers who are too scared to follow them up the hill who are.
1: Not all the villagers were too scared
0: to. Who, who are too scared to follow them up the hill who are sitting there with a uh, telescope watching what's happening. And.
1: Yes. Passing it around as each of them passes out. Passing it around as each
0: of them pass out. Because there are problems with how they handle the villagers in this book, which we'll get to. But yeah, this dispels yes. the creature. The creature yells the name of its father, which is, um, uh, was it the outer god Yog sothoth
1: Tony Danza? Oh, Yogg-Sothoth, yes. I
0: don't think Tan- Tony Danza is the um, the knower of all things and places.
1: No, but he is an old one. True. Actually, Tony Danza. I, I
0: don't. I, I don't have anything to add to that. Now I'm just. I have no. this mental image of Tony Danza as the, the Dunwich Horror charging up a hill.
1: He's the king in yellow.
0: No, I want to miss the Dunwich Horror. Hey, kickstart our new Dunwich Horror film. Oh, there we go. Stretch goal one. If we can get two million dollars, we'll uh, we'll hire Tony Danza.
1: Have you uh, <laughs> Have you seen the Dunwich Horror movie that was made in the '70s?
0: Oh gosh, you know what? I'm not even thinking of Tony Danza. I'm thinking of Ted Danson.
1: Oh, well him too. He's he's an elder thing as well. Um, but no this the, the movie in the seventies called Dunwich Horror is actually pretty cool, but the the when you finally like you finally get to see the 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 horror at the end of the movie and because it was the seventies and they had to use, you know, mostly physical effects. Yeah. They just ended up having like um
0: Is it a big rubber monster?
1: No, 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 it wasn't even a rubber monster. That was too cheesy. It's like a it's like an overlay of like a kaleidoscopic representation of some like body painted naked women dancing. so it ends up kind of looking like a bunch of arms and legs coming from a central point, uh, maybe a boob or two, but like you know that was that was the way they represented it in the seventies. I'd love to see like a William or de Toro. Dunwich Horror.
0: Oh, you know... um, um, Oh, I'm so sad he never got to make um, Mountains of Madness. Actually, I I would like to see... uh, And I'm completely blanking on the director's name, but the guy who just directed um, Color Out of Space with Nicolas Cage. Because that was fantastic. I haven't seen that yet. One day, one day when it's appropriate, we will sit down and watch this, and it will be awesome. So Come on, vaccines. (laughs) Hopefully by May. Um, So... Um, that's the rough outline of the story. Clearly we've missed lots of details. So, let's talk about some of the ideas and themes that we have in this. Let's start with Lovecraft being an elitist, classist dick.
1: Right, so here is a short list of adjectives that he uses to... Describe the so, wealthy family. I,
0: I, 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 just, just um, I, I really want to get into that list. I really want to get into that list. But before we do, let's let's back up slightly and let's let's talk about how we describe some of the people in Dunwich. So you know, they're, oh, they're all inbred. Well, the implication is most of them are inbred, and there's this distinction between yes. um, decadent family lines and um, sort of maintained family lines. Yes,
1: there are, there are less decadent yeah. people who go to Harvard. Yeah,
0: and then never come back. But there's like the, the waitleys. Right. There are waitleys that are implied to be, you know, um, I, I think the implication is richer, honestly, but more civilized that are, you know, right. kind of higher born, better class of people. And then you have the waitleys in the story who are literally described as mutants.
1: <laughs> Pretty much, yep. And in fairness,
0: one of them is actually well, two of them are actually mutants, because they are human elder god hybrids. But um, you know, Lavinia, who is the daughter of the wizard Waitley, who's um, Wilbur Waitley's mother, um, is a misshapen, a misshapen albino with strange limbs.
1: Yeah.
0: And as there's no. Her girl has
1: some upper limb deficiencies. And... Yeah. There's no. And suddenly she's a she's a freak. Like, yeah, like this, you know, Lavinia has some, you know, she's albino and she has albinism and she got some upper limb deficiencies and, like, well, I mean, it's ableist and it's, it's like, all kinds of wrong things. And, right, and, uh, and this extends you know,
0: to the entirety of Dunwich because, um, and I, I think for me, I think more for me this comes out to more to the end of the book because there is definitely a part heading towards the climax, where Armitage and his his, uh, fellow scientists show up. And they go, right, we are men of learning. We know what is going on. We will defeat this thing. Um, Show us where everything is in the town. Which I find hilarious, because apparently they couldn't look at a map while they were busy writing incantations of things. But then they sort of start to hunt the monster, and all of the people in town sort of wuss out. And there's just this weird situation where you have these um, city born academics who are probably the last people you ever want to go and confront a large, dangerous monster are handling this situation better than this mob of useless, ill educated um, farm workers who can't figure out what to do. And it's, I, I feel, it feels wrong somehow. <laughs>
1: Oh, it's all kinds of wrong. It, it's like, it's
0: very definitely like a oh well, thank God all these scientists showed up to save us. It's like I don't think this is how this would go in New England at any time period.
1: No, and you know it's funny because because in other in other Lovecraft stories, um, particularly like the Color Out of Space, and to some extent like Call of Cthulhu, like science is not necessarily the hero like science is in danger of opening the world up to further cosmic horror and so it's interesting that in this instance like the academic world is like the savior of mankind <laughs>
0: hmm. and, and actually the the shunned house um it's a similar kind of theme You're scientists the, the the main character in the, the shunned house is trying to find that um that kind of magic point between mysticism mathematics and geometry to move between different planes of reality which he does and bad things indeed do happen mostly to him but uh yeah so you know, getting back to Dunwich there is this absolute and I don't think it's well, and it's it's hard to say it's um you know the idea of well is this the author saying this or is this the character saying this because you don't really have a feel for the narrator as a character it's hard to say exactly what is going on here but right. there is a definite feel that dunwich is just utterly dismissed from the point it's introduced to the point it is well uh, happens in the prologue but after the horror where it is it is just shunned and people don't go there anymore
1: yeah and and there's a uh, you know there's something to be said about you know the, the <sighs> your your char- the characters in your stories don't have to have the same viewpoints as you, and, and there are, you can write about controversial or taboo or problematic topics um, as an author and, and keep it separated from yourself, but you have to be really careful about it, and you have to... Um, like, one way to do it is to have a character in the story... Who calls the character out for their demonstrable views, and so um, you know it's it's really tricky to have to have problematic topics in a story that you're writing about. Um, you know, unless you're writing horror, and then you could just be like, "It's horror. What did you expect?"
0: Well, and I might I might say I might, I might say a, a good example of that is actually um, some of the characters in um some of Heinlein's stories, because Heinlein was a, a fairly diehard, you know, America is best, um, let's get all the commies kind of character from what I understood. Um and yet you read Stranger in a Strange Land where they're talking about communalism and cannibalism and casual free sex and it's just like Yeah, is this uh is this really the same thing? You know, this is this is not the author, this is the characters right. of this story talking about this. And I, I, I do worry in this one that it isn't the characters talking about this. This is just how the, the author actually views the world. Yeah, and that's... Which is a little alarming that he's casually writing off rural people.
1: Yeah, and this... this um, his, you know, Lovecraft's views about class and race and, and uh, gender and sexuality, they, they creep up in a lot of his stories, and you can't, you can't read... Lovecraft without... I mean, you can read Lovecraft without being aware of it, but, you know, it's better to be aware that Lovecraft was a horrible, racist person. I mean, I'm sure he was a nice guy, but just some of his views... I mean, really, like, here's the bottom line. You you can't be bigoted against what you fear, what you don't understand. And, and H.P. Lovecraft was afraid of just about everything. That wasn't, like, you know british and and yeah that's about it british <laughs>
0: he, he really he really was and and to put this yeah to put this in context this isn't you know he was bad for the time period yes. he was in because that time period was bad he was bad for that time period
1: yeah i mean like he was writing he was writing in the early I mean, 20th he died century. in 1936 i think so which is so which he is, was <laughs> writing up into the 30s and uh and you know, some of his later stories didn't have quite as much of mm-hmm. the the classism and racism and stuff. And and there are signs like, like scholars of Lovecraft's mm-hmm. writings point to certain aspects of his later stories that that might signal kind of a yeah. a softening of his views about those things. But his earlier stories, which I think this is this one was in the middle of his mm-hmm. career, but some of a lot of his earlier stories like the the case of arthur german is are just like it's just you're just like come on man <laughs> uh,
0: this this was this was published in 1929 april 1929 um written in august 20, 1928 to the, the notes i have here the um i mean you call Cthulhu at the start of that you have um every situation where they bring uh. up cultists they are you know Um, mixed race or sailors or um,
1: yeah or portuguese not
0: exactly great term for african-americans every single time or yes well that's the sailor thing is is this idea of um foreign people coming in
1: yeah Yeah. Um, and and the call of cthulhu isn't isn't even that bad for him like it's not even the worst one you go and read like the horror at red hook that one is just like it's just like come on man like really
0: <laughs> And it's a shame because these stories are otherwise fantastic. I mean Call of Cthulhu is amazing.
1: Do you think um, do you think do you think Lovecraft would have been a mega
0: I'm not even going to get into that. I'm going to level with you. I'm going to I'm going to edit that comment out. <laughs> Yes, so that that covered that kind of that background there. You know, we're talking about these these waitleys who are degenerate um, or decadent is the term he uses over and over again.
1: Actually, I can answer that question. No, he wouldn't have been because he was a socialist.
0: I have so many questions.
1: <laughs>
0: anyway, I have so many questions. Anyway, yeah, so you have the waitleys who um Yeah, sorry, yeah. That are degenerate. And uh, this list, this list of n- yes, names list. that are used to describe them throughout this, this book.
1: This is not an exhaustive you... list. It's just kind of I scanned through and picked out some. So here we go. Goatish-looking, slatternly, crinkle-haired albino, goatish face, goatish face, shapeless albino, half-deformed, twisted, shabby, bearded, dirty, of uncouth dialect, bent goatish giant gorilla like lope and there was something almost goatish or animalistic about his thick lips, large poured yellow, yellowish skin, coarse, crinkly hair and oddly elongated ears. Those yeah. are, those are not adjectives you want applied to you.
0: So not a fan.
1: No. <laughs> so they're ugly, weird looking people. Basically.
0: Yeah. Um, And in fairness, at least two of them are are the worldly mutants. Right. Yes. But um, I mean, and and this this arrogance extends even to Wilbur. So Wilbur is the uh, sort of antagonist of the story who is um, trying to put these rituals together. He's responsible for dealing with his brother, though you don't
1: know it. Um, He also probably killed his mother.
0: Exactly, which is which and is as he, one he of my one of my learned. favorite one of my
1: favorite lines in the whole story, is uh, is um, Professor Armitage is thinking about Wilbur after he leaves the library, mm. and the line that he uses is um, under a cloud of probable matricide. Yes, a great. Because
0: line. again, he he gets learned, um, he he becomes more in control of his life, and it's just like oh well. I read all these books, I do all these things. Um I don't I don't really have any connection with my mother, so we'll just offer. And it's it's shockingly arrogant. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um
0: but anyway, that that's enough about I think the, the, the corruption of um Dunwich. Um let's talk about Doctor Armitage, the academic superman.
1: Yes. Right. So he
0: makes some assumptions in this, this book. Um I don't I don't know that he can necessarily have made on the information he had. He... I, I know you took exception I know I know when we talked about this last time you took exception to um part of the reason he he when Wilbur shows up trying to borrow the book, which is really where he comes into the story, that he refuses to lend him the book is he he looks over his shoulder and reads the passage and then mentally translates it as he's reading it. Yes. I didn't I didn't find that too bad for someone who is a professional linguist who is studying this text.
1: Okay, fine, but it's four hundred words.
0: It's four hundred words. Okay. I mean if you're fluent in a language, that's fine.
1: The but, the, the bit that got the Okay, me but, but here's the thing, the... but here's the thing though. I think there's a I think there's a difference in in how we're how we're imagining the situation. Because okay. the way that I like I think the way that you're reading it is Armitage looking over Wilbur's shoulder or is he looking over his own shoulder?
0: I assumed he was looking over Wilbur's shoulder because Wilbur is the one sitting reading the book.
1: So for me, it seemed like like Armitage gives him the Necronomicon, he flips through the Necronomicon, he starts doing his thing. Armitage goes to sit down in the corner, and as he's passing by, he looks over his shoulder and Wilbur's shoulder to like glance at the book.
0: Um, Let's see, here we go. As he copied the formula he finally chose, Dr. Armitage looked involuntarily over his shoulder at the open pages, the left-hand one of which, in the Latin version, contains such monstrous threats to peace and sanity of the world.
1: Right, so either way, either way, it's an involuntary look. This is not him staring over Wilbur's shoulder for eight minutes.
0: Th- that That is fair. It, it is a casual, like, just noticed it, and then it's just like, oh, I just mentally went through the... 400 right. pages uh, 400 words on that page. Yeah, um, I
1: took I took the paragraph that he mentally translated and put it into a word processor and then did a did a word count on it. It's 400 words he pulled off this page with just that casual little glance, that involuntary glance. That is that is academic superheroism right there. Well, it, it gets it,
0: even it gets even better because he sees these 400 words and then draws conclusions about Admittedly, at this point, Wilbur is supposed to stand. I think it's seven foot tall, so he's a bit freaky right. looking. But yeah, it's, um, that's a technical term. Um, he's 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 physically strange. Yes. To to be walking around a, a populated area, um, in in the same sense that people over, you know, six foot four, for example, are going to be noticeable and are going to be a little disproportionate to the environment around them. Yeah. So okay, that 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 might be okay, this guy's a bit weird. He's looking at the really creepy book, that's a bit weird. I'm looking over and I'm reading the the thing that he's copying. Oh, that's a bit scary. But then he correctly assumes that Wilbur is trying to destroy the world and then warns all the other librarians with copies of the Necronomicon not to
1: lend it to him. Yeah, I mean isn't that a a a likely conclusion, you know? Like
0: Well, it, it's it's not it's not like he turned around and went well, this is this strange guy that's after this. Maybe you should treat him a bit carefully. He full-out turns around and says, you know, oh, he's clearly up to no good. You shouldn't let him access to your books. And this is what, what precipitates Wilbur coming in and trying to steal the book at night and getting murdered by the dog.
1: Yeah. And, you know, like, I I just, like... Even though that, that is completely ridiculous to just glance over someone's shoulder and pull off 400 words in your head and then translate it from Latin to English like flawlessly enough to then draw assumptions about the motives of the person that you're dealing with. There's a part of my brain that wants to be able to do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, that just sounds like like I would do that at parties. Like, go ahead, go ahead, here. Here's a book in Latin. Go ahead, open it. Random page. There you go. <laughs> okay. Oh. And then I start just start quoting it. Like like isn't that a cool party trick? Like
0: <laughs> what party are you going to where the, the the party trick that you want to display is casually reading Latin.
1: <laughs> well, if you're in if you're in um, Arkham, Massachusetts, Oh, apparently yes. The, uh, they the just, uh, this is what all the elites they just do. they just pass around the Necronomicon gets passed <laughs> around at parties, and everybody's got a copy of it on their shelf, yeah. and because uh, like every every Lovecraft protagonist has read the Necronomicon and is is familiar with its, yeah uh, with everything in it.
0: So, um, continuing the theme of academic superheroism, uh, Armitage. Uh, a couple of chapters later, gets sent Wilbur's diary, kind of post-mortem. And the the thing is, the book is encoded in some ciphery kind of thing. Yeah, it's indecipherable. So let's chalk this up. He's an expert in Latin who can just decode huge bits of text casually over his shoulder. He is also capable of deciphering ciphers um using well, a combination he's a librarian uh,
1: librarians can do can do all that right
0: using a combination of linguistics and mathematics
1: i will i'll have to check right. next and, time I'm and, in the library <laughs> all Right. what's the what's the term for code breaking there's a word for it isn't, there? isn't it i think um, it's just called
0: code breaking
1: cryptography oh, crypto-
0: yes sorry yes you're right yeah I was thinking, so, Park so he's a but yeah, the, the the study is cryptology. He's, he's a
1: linguist. He's a he's Crypto- a an anthropologist, and archaeologist, and he does cryptology. Yeah. This is like there's that there's a comic that's great. That's like uh, that's like scientists in the real world versus scientists oh, yes. in in a movie. And in the in the in the movie, <laughs> it's like um, this is quantum physics, and I'm a biologist. I got this, you know, and then. And then in the real world, it's like uh, it's like this is this is avian biology, and I'm uh, and I'm a fish biologist. I need to call for help. Like, uh, like it, it's so like like I'm a folklore like in uh, what is it? There's in in the mountains of madness. Like the the main character is a geologist, yeah. but he knows about all this stuff that's going on because he's a hobbyist folklorist. <laughs> like like well okay that that's sort of forgivable
0: i mean you can have a hobby and if your your principal thing is you study things maybe studying something in an unrelated field is not that ridiculous to get a general knowledge of something um
1: that's true but but in in the mountains of madness they're looking at those those frescoes in the map room and and, and like coming up with these these huge elaborate histories oh yeah because
0: he has an in-depth history like, of um forbidden law because yes you're right that's not really correct um right i, I was going to mention it. it's an interesting parallel with um have you ever read uh tears for algernon
1: yes yeah. i have actually that's a good actually, one that's
0: probably a good one to put on the list um so tears for algernon <clears throat> um the, basically the, the 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 rough summary of it is is they find a way to take somebody who has learning difficulties and make them super intelligent and one of the frustrations yes. he has um, sort of halfway through the book is he wants to talk about imp- uh, like the, the sort of um, intersection of different fields of study. And what he gets frustrated with is when he goes and talks to an academic, he finds they have very narrow focuses on what they do. Well, you're a historian. What do right. you think of this and this and this? Well, I'm a historian, but I look at American Civil War history.
1: Right. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Napoleonic right. historian, not an American right.
0: historian. And it Um, it's the reverse of this because he's trying to engage with these subject matter experts these kind of, these scientists um, you know, archivists um, researchers and they don't have the information he needs because he's literally the only person who can at that point in time encompass all of the ideas he's trying to encompass not Dr. Armitage
1: no, he can do everything. Right,
0: so not only have we um... And
1: then and then he and then he goes and, and has a ritual to kick a monster's ass. Yes. Like he can do everything. So let's
0: let's like... let's count it down. He's a librarian, so presumably good at library right. science. He's a linguist, because he can do he's an archivist. he's an archivist. He's a cryptographer and a wizard. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so, so the second the second aspect of his super superpowers is that, um, it, you know, he he does the cryptography to to, to decode Wilbur's. Um, Wilbur's journal and and he works at it so hard that he he's like starving he's not eating his wife's worried about him his 18 buddies are coming to check out on him and he's like I just I gotta I gotta finish this and then when he finally decodes it what he reads is so horrifying it almost kills him. yes but no, then wait. over and he's three like, days he's like 85 or something right he's yeah.
0: like he's up for three days straight doing this like refusing food um beyond the point of exhaustion and he's 75 right
1: but then right and then but but the great thing is like there's this there's this line that's like after he does that holy cow it's a big story um i'm not gonna find it in the book in time but there's this line in the story where like he he reads the thing he almost dies because of the horror of it and he passes out but then like the next day or maybe the day after that, he's up and he's like, all right, let's go. We got to do something about this. So he goes through all these, like this academic heroism and he pays a price for it seemingly. But then the next day he's up and he's good. All right.
0: No, it's it's really funny when they talk about him being a man of 75 because they really imply he's someone who is much younger. Right. I, I just, I hope I'm in this good condition when I'm
1: 75. Oh, me too. I hope that I'm... Yeah. downloading 400 word Latin excerpts and into my head. And
0: <laughs> You're really obsessed with the Latin. It's ridiculous. Like casual like, Latin reading. I mean,
1: I, mean, I, I <laughs> study, I study, I mean, I'm a hobbyist language learner, right? I speak some French. Yeah. I study Norwegian and Irish and, and like, I'm, I'm pretty good at reading French. I, I can read French at about the level of a third grader, but forget the other language though. Like do this in English. Go to a library, look over someone's shoulder, and then memorize four hundred words of what they're reading. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Not going to happen in your in your native tongue unless you have like eidetic memory or something. Now make it a different language, and then you have to translate it in a way that makes sense. Like it's just it's just redonculous. It's just it's it's amazing. I love it. I love how ridiculous it is. It's like uh, it's the it's the literary equivalent of commando with arnold schwarzenegger like it's that level of ridiculousness <laughs> <laughs>
0: um okay so um i i think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about this briefly oh yeah um, the whipper rolls
1: the whipper rolls.
0: so the ripper rolls there is this um, folk legend, and I think actually I it might it be is. based on some actual folk legend, where when people die in the story, the whipper sit outside, and their chirping takes the pulse of the dying person's breathing. And then the theory is when the, the dying person's soul leaves their body, the whippoorwills, which is a type of bird, will try and get the soul. So they either... You know, there's a big frenzy and they fly away, which means they got the soul... Well, they all sit quietly, which means that they didn't.
1: Yeah, they—they are—they're
0: right? psychopaths. I think I'm remembering that correctly. So this this comes up multiple times. This comes up when Wizard Waitley dies. This comes up um, when Wilbur dies. Uh, does it come up
1: uh, yes, third time? Uh, no. Well, maybe. Maybe when the, I feel like there's some at the end. <laughs>
0: oh yes, when when the the colossal incen- uh, the colossal monster brother is they uh, yeah. being ritualed out of existence on the top of the hill, yeah, the whippers are and, and actually whippered. if you
1: if you listen very carefully and this right is now, you might hear some whip <laughs> God, I hope not they they have a really unique sound like a, um, a unique call
0: they really do i'm I'm gonna try and see if um to wait here right here for a second ready but okay. So if I can find like a royalty free version of a rolls call, I'm going Ooh. to try and insert it there so you can hear what it sounds like, because I didn't appreciate what an odd sound that was for a bird call. And once I heard that, and I kind of had that, that, um, that kind of mental basis for what that sounds like, that whole passage or those whole passages in the book were
1: right. far There's more the, terrifying when... for me.
0: Um, uh, it's, it's it would genuinely be unnerving having all these birds right And and when when, when Wizard
1: waitley dies it's it's like double creepy because like over the top of those whipper rolls there's this sound that's described like the, the waves of the ocean coming in or like this this like um, I mean it's mm-hmm. the it's the breathing of the twin that's upstairs. But like like
0: that's Yeah. Which is um not that we've touched on it, but there's a persistent foul smell whenever uh Wilbur or the twin are in the area, and also this this kind of black um ica and it's um it's it's sort of implied it's coming from the brother that there's just something. Yeah, and that's that that's in the the of passage smell. of the Necronomicon but, sorry, that, that
1: Wilbur or that the that Professor Armitage downloads into his brain, and then it's just so ridiculous. Anyway, there's a passage in there yeah. uh, <laughs> where it says, yeah. "By by their smell shall ye know them," and so that's like, yeah, it's reinforcing the yeah. idea that like the the oh, smell yeah. that's around the Wilbur the the Waitley household is not an anomaly; it's it means something. Mm-hmm.
0: Anything else you wanted to cover?
1: I think well let's talk about let's talk about what Wilbur looks like. Because this is this is one of the only times where we get to see a good a good representation in text of what what a Lovecraft monster looks like.
0: And this is this is not quite post mortem because when he actually does die, he he degenerates into like a white sludge.
1: Right. Um, let me see if I can I find I it
0: real out. quick. We'll just we'll just read the actual.
1: I have it I have it here actually a copy. Oh, paste go ahead then. Them, P-
0: please go ahead.
1: <clears throat> this is an extended quote, so. The thing that lay half-bent on its side in a fetid pool of greenish-yellow ichor and tarry tarry sickness was almost nine feet tall, and the dog had torn off all the clothing and some of the skin. It was not quite dead, but twitched silently and spasmodically, while its chest heaved in monstrous unison with the mad piping of the expected whippables outside bits of shoe leather and fragments of apparel were scattered about the room, and just inside the window an empty canvas sack lay where it had evidently been thrown. Near the central desk a revolver had fallen, a dented but undischarged cartridge, later explaining why it had not been fired. The thing itself, however, crowded out all other images at that time. It would be trite and not wholly accurate to say that no human pen could describe it, but one may properly say that it could not be vividly visualized by anyone whose ideas of aspect and contour are too closely bound up with the common life forms of this planet and of the three known dimensions. It was partly human, beyond a doubt, with very manlike hands and head, and the goatish, chinless face had the stamp of the Waitleys upon it. But the torso and the lower parts of the body were tetralogical fa- tetralogically fabulous so that only generous clothing could ever have enabled it to walk on earth unchallenged or eradicated. Above the waist, it was semi-anthropomorphic, though its chest, where the dog's rending paws still rested washfully, had the leathery, reticulated hide of a crocodile or alligator. The back was piebald with yellow and black and dimly suggested the squamous covering of of certain snakes. Below the waist, though, it was the worst, for here all human resemblance left off and sheer fantasy began. The skin was thickly covered with coarse black fur, and from the abdomen a score of long greenish-gray tentacles with red-sucking mouths protruded limply. Their arrangement was odd and seemed to follow the symmetries of some cosmic geometry unknown to the Earth or the solar system. On each of the hips, deep-set in a kind of pinkish, ciliated orbit, was what seemed to be a rudimentary eye, whilst in lieu of a tail there depended a kind of trunk or feeler with purple annular markings and with many evidences of being undeveloped mouth or throat. The limbs, save for the black fur, roughly resembled the hind legs of prehistoric Earth's giant saurians, and terminated in ridgy, vein pads that were neither hooves nor claws. When the thing breathed, its tail and tentacle, the tentacles rhythmically changed color, as if from some circulatory cause normal to the non-human side of its ancestry. In the tentacles, this was observable, observable as a deepening of the greenish tinge, whilst in the tail it was manifest in a yellowish appearance, which alternated with a sickly grayish-white, in the spaces between the purple rings. Of genuine blood there was none, only the fetid greenish-yellow ichor, which trickled along the painted floor beyond the radius of the the stickiness and left a curious discoloration behind it.
0: I have nothing to add to that. That's just a fantastic description. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) And, And to my knowledge, just off the top of my head, the only other time where you get kind of that detailed uh of a description of a monster in a lovecraft story is in the mountains of madness and only because the scientists are doing like a detailed biological assay of the of the creature like in that one you get like measurements of like how thick the torso of the creature is and stuff
0: so that takes us to the last section of our podcast so, any final
1: thoughts? Did you enjoy this book? I, I like the story. It, it's, uh, it's ridiculous and, and there are issues with it. It's, it's not his best story by any, any shot of the imagination, but, um, I think the parts that he gets right, he nails, um, you know, Keeping keeping the POV with the vi- with the villagers at the bottom of the hill instead of sending them up, that's brilliant because it it ramps up tension because your imagination has to has to make up the details of what's going on up there. It also relieves Lovecraft from having to actually make up the ritual that Armitage is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and that's great. There there are some lines in here that are just really cool uh, you know you get all the the great hallmarks of lovecraft's writing you've got the necronomicon you've got the the professor you've got the weird you know creatures and the and the mystery and the like it's like so um
0: so for me i, I find this a very mixed bag so the, the first half of the story is great. I, I, I like Wilbur, I like the Waitleys, I like the obviously dubious stuff that they're doing. I like the way that it builds, I like the, the feel of the environment they're in. But once Wilbur dies, I find parts of this book hard to read. I find some of the descriptions too long, I find the parts uh, that describe the the conversations had by the Dunwich villagers to be painful, and actually borderline unreadable. I find the climax of the story because you're right; it is an interesting thing that he's done there, where he's pulled the narration back to this team of inexplicably cowardly villagers who refuse to go up the hill. Um, it is very interesting. It is it is a very u- uh, kind of unique thing to read. I. Don't know that I find that it helps the story though. I find it it almost drags you out of the story because now you are in a, a place where the narrator is relating to you something that happened to somebody else via somebody else. Right. And it's just how many steps away from the actual action do I have to get in the story? You know, I. F- and then of course, there's I feel Doctor Armitage superhuman, which <laughs> I find frustrating Amazing. for a number of reasons. Amazing. Frustrating, Damien.
1: Um, Um. yeah i i you know this a lot of the things that that he does in the story i feel like he polished more and used them in the call of cthulhu and some of his other stories like in my mind like thinking thinking about like my experience with writing stories like i almost feel like the scene that happens on the on the phone call may have been like his first try at trying to switch up the POV to try and see how, how it changed the pacing and the tension of the story. And then he decided that he kind of liked it. And so he nailed it at the end with the villagers being at the bottom of the hill. But with the phone calls, it doesn't, it kind of falls flat just because you're too. It's
0: it's a bit weird. It, it kind of has a parallel for some of those strange films they've done recently um, where you have, a lot of the action of the film is told through, and you see this in a lot of, like, disaster movies, especially, where people are are on a phone call with somebody and they're describing whatever's happening to them before it gets to the person that you're actually following. So you have this phone call with somebody who... Oh my god, it's here! It's smashing down the walls! Ah, oh, there's fire and blood! The phone drops. And then, you know, whoever they're talking to is making a break for it. So you never get the direct experience of whatever it is attacking mm-hmm. you're getting the secondhand experience of somebody attacking and then somebody reacting to something that you've never really been a direct witness of
1: and you know he does he does get this kind of thing right early in an earlier story of his in the 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 statement of Randolph Carter there's an exchange on a phone that is just highly creepy and, and like he nails it on that one but in this case it just it doesn't really work
0: <laughs> So, thumbs up thumbs down
1: i like it i'll give it a thumbs up i,
0: I give it a solid meh
1: yeah <laughs> you're, it's, it's you're fine it, there's,
0: there's bits in it i enjoyed I, i've read it a couple of times i don't know that i would recommend it i think there's other stories i'd recommend first
1: no, this is not. This is not the first Lovecraft story you should read if you're new to it. Speaking
0: of stories, what are we going to cover next time?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I don't remember what we talked about last time.
0: <laughs> uh, Zima Blue. Oh, that's right.
1: I read that. It was really good. Yes. Um, um,
0: so, if you are if you are following along with us and you want to read ahead of the podcast, the story is. Uh, the titular story from the short story collection *Zima Blue* and other stories by Alistair Reynolds.
1: I'm excited to talk about that one. Uh,
0: it's also on. If you want to cheat, it's also one of the short stories in um, *Love, Death, and Robots* on Netflix.
1: Oh, I'm have to watch which that. is an
0: excellent series you should watch. Actually, I uh, well, we'll talk about that. But yes, <laughs> it is a great story. Uh, I'm excited to, to do that. So. Um, If you're excited to follow that story with us, um, feel free to read ahead. Catch us next time, and uh, we'll see you then. Dude, I just did this whole thing with a baby strapped to my chest, and he hasn't stirred once. This is amazing. Consider liking, subscribing, and maybe even recommending to a friend. We'll see you soon.